changing people's behaviour at heart. The thing that you've got to get them or make them do has to be simple and it has to solve the problem. Unless you take away someone's pain or make their life unbelievably better, it'll be hard to get anyone to stick to what you've done. So I keep making that same mistake, I guess. I'm thinking, yeah, this will be easy. But it always takes five times as long and costs five times as much. And just through a mixture of luck and people that have helped out along the way, built this thing that it's now 10 years, 11 years strong. Welcome to episode 160 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from people who inspire and motivate others to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. Startup incubators are catalysts for change. Whilst they don't develop the ideas or make the deals to turn those ideas into reality, they provide a space to nurture the people who have the drive to do great things. So who is it that gets behind a startup incubator and how do you become a catalyst for others? Jason Neve is the inspirational director of the Moonshine Lab, an incubator born of passion out of the distillery, the digital marketing agency of which Jason is the managing director. Through his experience developing business strategies, positioning products, and in developing his own startup, Jason is very fluent in the language of entrepreneurs. In today's episode of Be The Drop, a story of pursuit and passion, Jason describes the difficulty of fostering innovation and how a startup incubator can help this. Between speaking client dialect, changing customer behaviour and driving growth by investing in himself, Jason shares many valuable lessons. This is Jason's version of Be The Drop. When I find something useful for my business, I like to share the love. For royalty-free music on podcasts and videos, we love Soundstripe. It's got lots of great tunes and none of the boring elevator music. As a Soundstripe partner, we're excited to offer you a 10% discount code. You can find the discount link in the show notes or enter the code BETHEDROP at checkout. Jason. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Pleasure. Thank you for getting me a beer for Be The Drop. <laughs> well, it's only fitting, surely. All right. To get us started and introduce a little bit about yourself, I'd love you to explain your item of significance. And that just gives us a bit of history, background about where you are and where your journey's taken. Yes, the item of significance commonality in your podcasts. Um, I'm currently packing today a Cox Plate pin from the 2018 edition. I'm a bit of a racing fan. It's a thing that I ended up making a hobby out of building some software for our punters club that used to operate on a spreadsheet and uh, built this thing that has turned into probably my main game. Mm, I was going to say, I think it's a little bit more than a hobby. So it started as a hobby, but now the Punters Club, you've actually got a full app. It's, you know, yeah, you yeah. well, it's just every footy club I've ever played for would use a punters club to pay for the end of season trip. Um, but that was always, you know, spreadsheets and chasing your mates for money and trying to work out whose turn it was to bet. And I figured if they could automate footy tipping, I could automate punters clubs. So we've built it up. Yeah, it's going well. And so th- that has become your main area because you've got you've got a few hats that you wear. Maybe just explain some of your other hats and then we'll see how it all fits sure, together. Sure, sure. It started out with the distillery, which is our digital agency here in Adelaide, which – 
has done some pretty cool things for some cool clients over time. And it probably gave me the means with which to indulge a whim and try and fix a problem I had. That's now 10 years, 11 years strong. So and everything sometimes still a battle, but um, <laughs> well, it's, good, business, it's, it's, right? it's good fun. Yeah. And look, that's how I built Punk Club and, and through Punk Club probably just developed a love of startups, which opened the Moonshine Lab Accelerator. Mm. which in turn stumbled us into South Start. There seems to be quite a few accidentals and you make it sound like very much a, a blasé sort of, you know, something you liked and something you stumbled on. I feel like there's probably a bit of work behind those. Oh, well, there's a lot of work standing the stuff up, but there was no <laughs> grand plan. It was going, oh, that sounds all right. What has been some of the things that stand out as the most critical points or, you know, critical decisions along the path that, that really helped, you know, any, any one of those things stand up? Probably just the realisation that it always takes five times as long and costs five times as much. In that sense, I keep making that same mistake, I guess. I'm thinking, yeah, this will be easy. But yeah, just through a mixture of luck and people that have helped out along the way, stuff is still upright. Mm, I love it. So you keep making the same mistakes, you say. So you're either a slow learner or you actually really love it. Well, that as well. So, I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't passionate about stuff or you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't do it, right? So probably developed the love of startups through doing the punk club thing. I wouldn't have done the punk club thing if I didn't have the distillery thing. And Moonshine Lab, incubation of other startups seemed like a good idea. And then when South Start, which was actually set up originally by Chai Thatch and, and Steve Barrett, uh, from Team Go, and they did a great job over a number of years and, you know, their business was growing and they couldn't do the event anymore. And having just set up an incubator, we were kind of going, well, we can't go into this industry if there's no sort of main central event to gravitate around. So uh, we decided, yeah, we'll do it. And that was about as much science as went into that. Mm, well, and it promises to be bigger and better this year. I know that they've moved to a bigger venue. There's, you know, some big speakers coming. It's shaping up to be an exciting event. Yeah, yeah. And look, we'll, for me at least, was um, the fact that we invested probably more in the social experience than in the program itself. So we were big on putting together a lot of, you know, sector-specific dinners and parties. And even when there weren't parties, you know, everyone was up until the wee hours talking and just the enthusiasm for the discussion and, and, and our times, I suppose, in a period of, of history where everything's changing flat out, but it's as slow as it's ever going to be. So mm. not my line. I think I borrowed that from somewhere. Actually, I think I might have got it from uh, Steve Brennan from Uber. And I think he might have stolen it from somewhere as well. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as a new idea, is there? That's what they say. All right. Well, let's take a couple of steps back then and talk about the distillery, so where it sort of began. And you talk about being a data-driven marketing agency. Explain to us why the data is so important in a marketing context. I guess when, when we started it, we came back. I came back to Adelaide from Sydney. Sam came back from England. Anthony Coles joined from Adland as well, he'd had his own digital shop. But we just made a decision early on to be deliberately digital first rather than an ad agency that would do banner ads. And, and that was hard, you know, we, the, to do hardcore technical solutions is a difficult thing. Uh, with technology, there's lots of moving parts and things go wrong. It's not like sticking up a, a billboard that once you put it there, nothing can happen apart from it getting wet. So that was something that we've continue to work out over time and in a digital sense certainly most of the the decisions you make about where you target and who you target and what you do is all data driven i think though that sometimes you know in marketing i see people do quite often get 
distracted by the content side of things and focusing on the messaging and the branding and that stuff, which is obviously really important. But then that that piece behind it, reviewing and ongoing assessment and measuring and analyzing the data can be a space where it gets let down. So for you then, where is that sweet spot? How do you feel where that balance is? You know when you've done something that's strong or that fits um, and ultimately the, the numbers then bear it out or not. But I think as long as you can stand there and be proud of what you've created and you know, that's something that we still want to keep getting better at and do do better. But our, our sort of, I suppose, tagline or has been over time, just art meets science to uh, live happily ever after. So then in part of your evolution, the punt club, which is going, you know, you delved into app development. How did you then transition to, oh, we, so we'll develop, we're going to take these spreadsheets into an app. What point and how did you bring on the skill set required? Unless you can suddenly develop apps yourself. Uh, yeah, well, no, I'm not a coder, um, although I'd probably know enough to be dangerous would be the description uh, that my team would say. But um, you just got to hire. You know, sometimes there's no harm in sort of admitting when someone else might be sharper at a particular ex- piece of expertise and asking for a hand. So, and for you on that journey, what was the biggest learning that came out of that app development process? Just that it's never done is the biggest and that as you learn and as clients or customers or stakeholders use whatever piece of uh, tech and code that you've built, you'll learn that it needs to improve and change and adapt and, and or, you know, for whatever purpose the code's been written and should can keep driving revenue and, mm. and growth. Well, and you have with, with the Punt Club grown, that has grown. How, how did you go about that from developing and launching the app initially? What was it that you think was the top ways that you communicated that to grow um, its success? We always just were our own best customer, I suppose. So it was something that we built for ourselves. And, and uh, so in that sense, we, it wasn't, Probably too hard to find other like-minded people that were suffering the same frustrations with Excel. Um, And we probably haven't done as well as we should have. I mean, I'm perpetually self-critical. And one of the more comforting things was speaking to Mick Lubinskis last time I was over at a Sunrise conference, I think. And he just said, you know, all all the data bears out at seven to ten years as any of those startups that grow fast and produce a return. It's uh, never an overnight success. So. Mm. But so you mentioned a couple of times as well, it was a problem that you had and so you were solving a problem. And really I think that's often key into the success of, of a solution. It's not because it's just necessarily a great idea, but it's really about this problem-solving capacity. Yeah, unless you take away someone's pain or make their life unbelievably better, it'll be hard to get anyone to stick to what you've done. So, you know, and, and we're pretty hand on heart saying that, if you've ever done that particular pastime, the Punters Club thing, any, in any other way, um, ours is 10 times better and the experience should be 10 times better. But changing people's behaviour is hard. So marketing and advertising, whose sole objective is to change someone's behaviour, get them to start doing something or stop doing something or whatever it might be, the reason for doing so and the solution or the, the thing that you've got to get them or make them do has to be simple and it has to solve the problem. Then we go from there with that experience with the startup to the creation of the Moonshine Lab. And so, and you're, you used to talk about the Moonshine Lab as a space where you go to mess around with ideas. So why did you need to create that space? What was the, the driver behind creating the Moonshine Lab? We always had a theoretical division inside the agency called them, uh, which was the distillery, where we would mess around with ideas, do stuff that was 
not for a client necessarily. It might be something we wanted to pitch to a client or the stuff that we weren't getting paid for is probably the easiest way to describe it. And none of those ideas or projects were getting enough oxygen because you always had fee-paying clients that wanted something yesterday. And so a lot of that stuff wallowed. And, and even when we were working on it, there'd be the arguments around access to our resources and the, and the designers and developers in-house. And you'd have one project that was paying full-tote odds and another project that was paying nothing. And so there'd be a, an argument over where to apply the resources so that you know, the agency business would stay alive as well. So we thought it would make sense to separate the two and, and spin the approach around so that we could have people apply to have Moonshine become their tech co-founder and use our decade of experience to become a tech founder where they didn't have to pay for an agency and they didn't have to go offshore or, or find it and take potluck on a co-founder at a uni. So, And that was a theory as well right up until the time, I think, we were trying to work out well, where should we move and how we're going to fund it. So we decided to raise a little bit of money in a, in a pre-seed kind of exercise to give it some working capital. And then through Renew Adelaide, a space became available in Watso building, rent-free for six months. And that was the catalyst to say, right, we've got this fantastic space. Let's jump out with that. Sammy Jeffries stayed in-house as GM. I went to kick off Moonshine and he did a great job. And, mm. and so how many years is that then, Moonshine Lab? Two now. Mm. Yeah. Along this journey and particularly, you know, with the work with distillery, what would you say are your top two to three communication tips for this communication that really creates connection? <sighs> Good question. Honesty and not promising anything you can't over-deliver on. A lot of the communication we work on is internal as well on how to get the people on your team to come along for the ride. And sometimes it's a, a case of probably overstating just how uncomfortable it might get so that when it does become uncomfortable, people don't think that you've pulled wool over the eyes. <laughs> yeah, managing expectation is probably another good attribute. Mm. And do you think there is a big difference between internal and external communications? No, because it's just all going to be about honesty. I mean, you, you, you can't obfuscate or and there, but there's lots of things and, and sometimes, you know, in the case of any kind of campaign, sometimes if it gets picked up, it's luck. There might be a slow news day and you get a, an article going in the press at the right time and drives the first part of the of the engagement and then it becomes a self-perpetuating piece of momentum from there. But, you know, I think just being honest with your team and your clients and and letting people know it's hard work, you know, and even half the time with the conversations we have at Moonshine and give us equity and, and kick off a project, sometimes we just try and talk them out of it just to say because you've got no idea how hard it is or how long it will take and how much work it will take and how much your forecasts will need to be halved and halved and halved again. And if you can still make money and you're prepared to do the work, then let's have a look at it. Mm. I suppose the challenge is, though, that you can tell people this, you know, in the startup example, you can tell them that it's going to be hard and that it will cost a lot more and take longer than yeah. anticipated. But I suppose until they experience it, it's yeah. sometimes hard to actually appreciate that. Correct. People told me the same thing. I ignore it every, every word. <laughs> and then you did it again. Yeah, kind of, yeah. So then around that, what are the other things that you think startups really need to be aware of and, you know, before going taking that leap or, you know, something to consider early? Just that, you know, there's very few ideas that are unique. So ideas are great. Everyone's got them. Execution is everything. And while it's never been easier to start a company, so you can spin up hosting really easily, you can um, find a team that will build your idea and there's never been more capital around 
but there's also never been more competition. So you go to a startup expo these days and there are hundreds or thousands of businesses that all have really brilliantly executed product that either haven't found a market or have found a market that's already saturated or have found that their concept isn't better enough for people to switch. And we've had lots of situations over time where you just wonder how you're going to be able to pay a salary or uh, keep the lights on or keep it going at all or whether it's I should just go and get a corporate job where I get paid every week and not worry about stuff. Yeah, well, and I think that is the thing that business is it's it's the marathon it's not a sprint there's lots of sprints in between but it's it is that really long term long haul yeah look we've still got a, a fairly long term view on everything we're doing i mean the startups that we incubate we know won't probably return any kind of value for 5 to 10 years so we've got to make sure we stay around long enough to hope that one of those businesses or two or three or whatever can uh, can get an exit or return something on their effort. Mm. And then where is it that South Start fits into this, you know, journey about helping that startup community and and supporting that environment within South Australia specifically? Where I thought it fit originally was just a rallying point, I suppose, for the industry or the community in South Australia. And there are lots of great other examples, Sunrise and Myriad and Starcon. And, you know, we, we look after Startup Grind here in SA as well. And that's a global community of startup ecosystem, I, I suppose. So there would be, I don't know, 500 chapters in 130 countries and we just run Adelaide, but it certainly makes you feel part of a community. And we go to a conference in Silicon Valley every year with that. And what South Start does is, is what those kind of events do, is it beyond being a centerpiece or showcase for what is happening in the sector by far the most important thing that happens are the human connections and the conversations and the friendships and and the fact that you know there are other like-minded people going through the same kind of challenges and you know and successes hopefully as well so and that's certainly what we found with South Start and that was certainly something that you know Craig and Danielle created as we all did when we were working around the clock and just to make it all happen. And, and um, but yeah, that just sort of magic that comes out of it is the relationships that form. And, you know, they're not contacts. It's not a Rolodex. It's, it's people that you could ring up and know that you'll organize, they'll make time to organise a beer just to say good day. And governments and key industry bodies are now getting in behind and supporting, you know, things like South Start and creating, you know, you know, new spaces in Adelaide for this. How important do you think it is that we've got this real cross-section within the startup space, that we've got government, we've got industry bodies, you know, and potentially corporates in there as well? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I mean, government has played an important role in supporting South Start, but it's also particularly challenging as well, navigating. They're spending public money and they've got to make sure that every part of it is defensible and I completely understand that. So, but importantly, it's they're also supporting the sector and the current government has been hitting some home runs with seems like announcement after announcement between you know space and defense and uh, you know lot 14 just allocating five or six hectares of city CBD riverfront property which would otherwise be worth millions in any kind of resi corporate sense um you know all credit to them and they've probably seen the the data around most of the economic growth and employment growth is coming from technology businesses. The the face of the Fortune 500 has changed dramatically in the last 20 years alone. So, mm. you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see the trend. And while I sympathise wholeheartedly with the people that lost their jobs in the automotive manufacturing industries, hopefully many of them will get those jobs back with the other construction projects around defence and 
and space. Yeah, I think it's all credit to them that they've re-diverted some of those rescue packages from propping up legacy industries and investing in future ones. Mm, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. In conclusion, though, could you share with me your be the drop tip? So that's your top tip for communication that connects. Uh, just brutal honesty, transparency and honesty. Does it, does it have to be brutal? Sometimes, yeah. I've had people be brutally honest with me and it was sometimes what you don't want to hear, but no less accurate for it. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.